You're listening to Comedy Central. June 13, 2018. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. scientist with a fascinating, he's got a fascinating new book about populism versus globalism. Spoiler alert, populism wins. Ian Bremmer is here, everybody! But first up, let's catch up on today's headlines. The phrase viral raccoon probably makes you think of a disgusting, rabid animal, or maybe a sex position. But yesterday, viral raccoon had a much different meaning. A Minnesota raccoon is an internet sensation this morning after captivating the world with a daredevil stunt. He's moving. The animal set its sights on St. Paul's UBS Tower, one of the city's tallest skyscrapers, and started to climb, one floor at a time, pausing for naps and breaks, and accruing an international audience along the way. Finally, after many attempts to lure it to safety, the raccoon made it to the roof. Yes! Oh, yes! The raccoon made it. I love how desperate people are for an uplifting story nowadays. <laughs> it's like, oh, what wondrous news. A raccoon is climbing something taller than usual. Life is beautiful again. Guys, he's a raccoon. I don't care what he climbs up. As soon as he's back on the ground, people are gonna call animal control on him. <laughs> And look, I get it, I get it. I'm used to Americans freaking out about animal stories. But just so you know, this would never happen in Africa, mostly because our animals are taller than our buildings. So, <laughs> it doesn't work. And there was so much speculation over why the raccoon was climbing this building. You know, did he think it was a massive garbage can? Uh, was he trying to get French citizenship? Uh, either way, that raccoon is our hero. At least until someone discovers his racist tweets. Then it all comes apart. Well, that was a fun story. Let's move on to some real news. Some days, there's so much news going on, it feels impossible to get through it all. Thankfully, though, too much news is just the right amount for a news segment we call Ain't Nobody Got Time For That. First up, Michael Cohen, President Trump's personal attorney and guy who looks like he's always reading bad news about himself. Has more inside information about Donald Trump than probably anyone else in the world. So the news that Cohen is now likely going to cooperate with federal investigators is not great news for the White House. And I can't wait to see how Trump is gonna try distance himself from Cohen. He's gonna be like, look, when I said Michael is like a son to me, I meant because I barely know him. I think he's a loser and I want nothing to do with him. Now, we could talk about how Michael Cohen flipping could be the biggest legal problem for President Trump since he found out the Constitution isn't just a list of suggestions, but we don't have the time for that because a federal judge has approved one of the biggest corporate mergers in American history. Now to that blockbuster deal that could have a major effect on your phone and TV bills and the kind of service you get. A federal judge approving AT&T's $85 billion takeover of Time Warner. This makes 
um, AT&T, an extremely powerful company. And what it means for the consumer is that now housed under one roof will be satellite, wireless, HBO, CNN, TNT, TBS, and Warner Brothers. Finally, Time Warner and AT&T are joining forces. This is such great news for consumers because now we can get all of our horrible customer service in one place. <laughs> so dope. It's gonna be interesting to see what AT&T does with HBO though, you know? Like, are they gonna be cross-promoting? Like, you'll be watching Game of Thrones and instead of sending a raven, Jon Snow is just gonna FaceTime? Is that what happens? <laughs> like, Jon Snow, when are you gonna come back and visit me? With this amazing unlimited data plan, I don't need to. <laughs> now, now, opponents of the merger are concerned that concentrating so much power in one media company could stifle competition, uh, raise prices, and even affect content. But honestly, as somebody in the media, I can assure you that it won't change anything. For instance, our parent company, Viacom, was just bought by DiGiorno's. <laughs> and that doesn't affect what we report on the show, right? In other news, Sparrows, is it the <laughs> devil's pizza? Well, all the pedophiles who love it say yes. <laughs> now, if we had time, we'd delve into the world of corporate mergers and we'd look at how uh, media consolidation could lead to monopolies and consumer choice reducing. But luckily, we don't have time for that boring shit because America just won the World Cup hosting responsibilities. Now to that breaking news about the World Cup. Just moments ago, soccer's governing body announcing that a joint North America bid by the US, Canada, and Mexico won the right to host the 2026 games, beating Morocco 134 to 65. There have been concerns about the president's travel ban. President Trump has sent three letters to FIFA assuring officials that foreign teams and their fans will be able to travel to the United States if North America is chosen. Okay, quick question. Why is Trump promising he'll allow people to come to the United States in 2026? <laughs> because even if he won a second term, he'd be done in 2025. That's some dictator-level confidence right there. <laughs> She's like, don't worry, in 2026, I'll allow you all to come into my country. It's like, but you won't be president then. That's what you think. <laughs> and you know, when you think about it, this makes sense. Soccer is definitely the sport for Donald Trump. Yeah, it's the only sport that involves building walls. And he'd be great at soccer because he's been faking injuries since Vietnam. He'd love it. <laughs> oh, I can't play. Ah, ah, my heel spurs. But that's right, America has won the bid to host the FIFA World Cup. And it's just funny how a few years ago, Americans were like, FIFA's a corrupt organization that can't be, what, we won the bid? We won the bid, we won the bid. FIFA's normal now, we won the bid. And you know what is surreal? Is that when the United States, Canada, and Mexico started bidding for the World Cup, the three countries were friends. But now, the way things are going, by the time the 2026 World Cup starts, fans are gonna be running through war zones to get to games and be like, oh! And you know what, I'm not gonna lie, I, I could spend a lot of time talking about the World Cup, but this is America, so I know we've gotta move on. Uh, which I guess is something I bet Bill Clinton wishes the media would do too. Former President Bill Clinton still out promoting his new book and still having trouble answering questions about the Me Too movement. I think the norms have really changed in terms of what you can do to somebody against their will, how much you can crowd their space, make them miserable work. Former President Bill Clinton is in the news tonight, facing a new firestorm for his answers in an interview in this Me Too era. He was asked whether he owes Monica Lewinsky an apology. Do you I feel like I thought you owe her an apology? No, I do. I, I, I never talked to her. 
But I did say publicly on more than one occasion that I was sorry. Prison. Someone should ask you these questions because of the way you formulate the questions. What? <laughs> that is one of the weirdest moments I've ever seen in an interview. He just flipped it and asked the journalist the question. Like, I wish OJ had done that in his trial. Why don't you try the glove? <laughs> <gasps> it fits! <laughs> and by the way, his, his new book is called The President Is Missing. And at this point, it sounds less like a mystery novel and more like his fantasy. It's like, Mr. President, we've got some additional questions about Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> Where'd he go? Where'd he go? <laughs> the president is missing. <laughs> we'll be right back. When a news story falls through the cracks, Lewis Black catches it with a segment we call Back in Black. It's June, which means the end of another school shooting season. And while Congress is working hard to pass gun control, schools have had to resort to extreme measures to keep kids safe. There is a school in Indiana that's been called the safest in America, complete with state-of-the-art technology to keep intruders and shooters out. Security breach! At Southwestern High School in Indiana, the kids drill. I see they're all running past this red line. What is that? The red line is a security measure, and that's in place because if we stand behind this red line, if there's a shooter at the door, they cannot see the children. The kids have to crouch behind a line on the floor and hide behind their textbooks. When I was in school, the only thing I had to hide was my boner. Because that was because Mrs. Malloy drew a number eight that looked like boobs. Anyway, since this school knows guns aren't going away anytime soon, they have to go above and beyond to protect their students. The school's secret weapon called hot zones, exploding smoke cannons hidden in the ceiling. There's smoke. It is loud and it's meant to disorient the suspect. I mean, look at this. The smoke is filling the hallway. You can barely even see me. <coughs> Whoa. I love this idea, but it's way too expensive for every school. You don't need fancy machines to fill a high school with smoke. Just get your JV lacrosse team to do it with their vape pens. Now you're blind and you smell like Razzleberry. So that all seems pretty high tech, but some schools are getting back to basics. One company is arming eighth graders with bulletproof plates as their welcome to high school gift. Safe Shield, it's a super lightweight, reversible Kevlar based shield meant to be slid into a backpack. The graduating eighth graders at St. Cornelius seemed unsure just what to make of their welcome to high school gifts, the kind of gifts they pray they will never have to put to use. I'm not saying this is a bad idea, but just look at those kids' faces. Something tells me this isn't the welcome to high school gift they were hoping for. But then again, how do you gift wrap a hand job? <laughs> so they have solutions for the students who, who are actually old enough to be disappointed by life. But what about the younger kids? Well, don't worry. Mother Goose is on the case. 
a kindergarten class is drawing attention for using a lullaby to teach students about lockdown drills. Taped to the classroom's chalkboard is a rhyme set to Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, rewritten telling students what to do if there's a shooter at a school. It goes lockdown, lockdown, lock the door, shut the lights off, say no more, go behind the desk and hide, wait until it's safe inside. Lockdown, lockdown, it's all done. Now it's time to have some fun. Now that may seem depressing, but don't forget, nursery rhymes have always been downers. Think about it. Jack and Jill is about two kids who fall down a mountain. Humpty Dumpty is about a suicidal egg. And kids, if you ever meet someone who calls himself the Muff Muffin Man, run! But I guess this is where we are. Schools have to do this shit because Congress is too afraid to touch guns. So I wrote a nursery rhyme for them. <laughs> Dear Congress, hickory dickory dock, stop sucking the NRA's His children's book will be coming out this fall. Lewis Black, everyone, we'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is the president of Eurasia Group and G Zero Media, and author of the New York Times bestselling book, Us Versus Them, The Failure of Globalism. Please welcome Ian Bremmer. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be As uh, someone who spends all of his time in geopolitics and studying the world, uh, before we get to the book, let's spend a moment talking about this manic week that we've had. Uh, the most recent news, obviously, Trump and uh, Kim Jong-un speaking for the first time, a historic meeting between yes. uh, the leaders of the two nations. Interestingly enough, the White House sent out a blast today saying this was a great achievement, everything went well, and they used a piece of your writing to, to, to confirm that. Do you think that this went well for President Trump? It's the first time they've done that. I assume it's connected to me being on your show tonight. Um, I uh, <laughs> just start with that. Uh, yeah, it did go well. Look, I mean, it, it, the fact is that for 20, 30 years, the North Koreans have been developing missile capabilities, developing cyber capabilities, right. developing their nukes. We haven't done a damn thing. We've tried, we've not gotten there. We now have a test suspension from the North Koreans that was unilateral. Right. And we have them engaging diplomatically, not just with the Americans, but perhaps more importantly, with the Chinese, the South Koreans, the Russians, all the countries in the region. And, and the likelihood of actually blowing up the Korean Peninsula right now is as low as it's been in a long time. That's, right. that's a good thing. Well, now, a lot of people's criticism didn't come from the fact that the meeting was, was a good thing or not yeah. a good thing. I mean, like I always said from the beginning, I wanted Trump to speak to Kim. I was like, make something happen. Yeah. But what I found strange was the fact that he came back and he said, it's all over, everything is good now, Mission accomplished, Mission basically. Accomplished, basically. It's, it's, yeah. it's all done. Yeah. But really, there were no concrete measures. Isn't that a problem? Because seeing as North Korea has made a deal with the West before and then reneged on that. Look, the concrete measures are that the North Koreans are now actually engaging. The only leader the North Korean had met with before Fire and Fury right. was Dennis Rodman, right? <laughs> like, that was it. Right. So, I mean, the fact that we now actually have them engaging is clearly objectively a good thing. Right. And they're gonna have to give something. I mean, I've seen in the media in the last 24 hours a lot of Trump critics saying that we gave them everything they wanted. Right. Well, we haven't taken any sanctions off. We're not recognizing them as a nuclear power. 
Uh, we're not sending an embassy over. We have suspended um, our military exercises, which, by the way, that freeze for freeze, they freeze their tests. Right. We freeze our exercises. That's what the Chinese have been suggesting for years, which, frankly, was not such a nonsensical idea. Uh-huh. So I would say we're confidence-building measures. The problem is that Trump doesn't prep. So as a consequence, he doesn't tell the South Koreans and the Japanese in advance, I'm going to give away these joint exercises. Right. So when they hear it come out, they're stunned, just like Rex Tillerson was stunned when he said, we're going to meet. And then the South Koreans and the Japanese were stunned when he said, actually, we're not going to meet. Right. right? Like it was, you need someone in the White House that just calls people and says, he's going to do this, right? <laughs> but you can't have someone who calls people if even he doesn't know he's going to do it because he's, <laughs> he's flying by the seat, man. So, okay, so yeah. North Korea, in your opinion, went well. He didn't give away everything. On the G7 side, a very different story. You oh. do not think the G7 went well. No, it was a disaster. In what right? way? In every way. Okay, that's, that's, that's specific. I get it. Well, let's uh, think about the allies, the G7 allies. Right. Think about what they're upset about. Before the G7, from Trump leaving the Trans-Pacific Partnership to Trump leaving Paris Climate Accord mm-hmm. to Trump putting embassy in Jerusalem to Trump leaving the Iranian deal, then he shows up late. He cancels his meeting by big bilateral with Macron, the French president. Right. He leaves early, and then he sends a Twitter barrage against the Canadian prime minister. Right. Which is not the first person you'd kind of expect to be taking right, on. Right, right, right. I mean, and, and that's the public stuff. The private stuff that he was saying in that meeting that I've heard about, it, like saying, why do we even support NATO? Like, why, why would we defend Germany? Literally saying this to other heads of state at this meeting, saying, why would we support Ukraine at all? They're all corrupt. It, it, and, and the other leaders there are being polite because he does run the world's only superpower. Right. But they're mortified. With that type of thinking, then, do you think Americans and the world should grapple with the notion and the idea that there is a possibility that America may, over time, come to see itself as an ally of countries like Russia and maybe China as opposed to Canada and Germany? No. You don't think that'll happen? No. You want to know why? Why? Okay. I'm just, this is like, I'm just like leading. A, I'm leading the like, witness. It's like a magic trick. Yeah, I like yeah, yeah. it. I like okay, it's like a magic trick. So, um, <laughs> no, the reason why is because even though Trump is oriented towards getting along with the strong man, this country is not, unlike Russia, run by one man. Right. And so he's enormously frustrated that he's not able to actually work closely with the Russians. We put more sanctions on Russia just two days ago. Right. I mean, he can't engage with the Chinese strongly because everyone in the United States government, including Mattis, the secretary of defense, right, who's right, quite right. competent, is saying these guys are ripping us off blind and they're our principal strategic antagonist in the region. So, you know, the problem is not that Trump is about to create an alliance with Russia. The problem is that the United States is going to be left in a much weaker global position, while the one big country in the world that's really doing strategy it ain't the Germans, it ain't the French, it's China. Like, it's one thing for them to rip us off in IP. Mm-hmm. It's another thing when the Chinese steal our strategy, right. which is spend a lot of money globally and get countries to be aligned with you. That's how we became great. Right. And now the Chinese are doing that. And that's not okay. Another Chinese knockoff. I get it. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> let's, talk about, let's talk about the book, Us Versus Them, The Failure of Globalism. Do you truly believe globalism has failed? I do. Why do, you, why do you say that? Let's be clear. I don't believe globalization has failed, uh-huh. right? I mean, we've gotten a half of the world's people in extreme poverty out of poverty just in the last 20 years, right? right? Immunization, like 90% of the world's population, that's globalization. But globalism is an ideology 
that's been put forward by the West and the advanced industrial democracies that says if we have open borders and free trade, right. and if the United States and our allies defend people all over the world, that's going to be awesome. And you know what? That's been awesome for me. It's been awesome for elites living in the West. Mm -hmm. But as should be very apparent, and not just in the United States, an increasingly large percentage of our populations feel like that is just a lie. Right. It's not worked for them. They, they feel like they're being left behind. So they go, the problem with globalism is it benefits the elites. You get big corporations that make a lot of money. Open trade benefits them because they get to rake in all of the profits. Is that why then populism becomes the natural counterbalance in the situation? We see it happening in Italy. You see it happening in the United States where a message of us versus them becomes more popular than the message of we're all in this together. Trevor, I wish it was just about economics. It's worse than that, right? I mean, you look in Germany, and actually the working class feels good about the trajectory of their economy, but they can't stand the fact that they've allowed in all of these migrants from Syria and from North Africa and the Middle right. East. And so for them, it's much more cultural. It's a security issue. They're taking benefits away from me that these people aren't real Germans, and they're threatening and they're going to hurt our women, right. and they're going to... What did Trump say about the Mexicans coming over to rape, right? He said they're, they're, gone, they're, they're bringing yeah. drugs, and they're bringing crime, and they're bringing... Same thing, right? Do, do I win? Do yes, I win? you win. Oh, Italy, right. same thing. South Africa, right. this is happening too, right? I mean, you've got a lot of people in South Africa saying that Mandela, Nelson Mandela, was actually in basically in cahoots with the white man, and we right. need to take back our power. If The only advanced industrial democracy, this is not happening, is Japan. Because population is shrinking, so per capita, they feel pretty good. Right. No immigration, so they're all Japanese. And the military is prevented constitutionally from fighting in wars outside the country. So U.S. fights in Afghanistan. The enlisted men and women voted for Trump. They did not vote for Hillary. Why? Because they couldn't stand the idea of all of these forever wars that they thought at least Trump would want to get out. And when you hear Trump saying now 32,000 troops in South Korea, right. why do we have them there? I didn't see anyone else saying that. So you have an interesting uh, position on this, and, and it, it puts us in a predicament. If populism seems to be saying the right-ish things, yeah. uh, excuse the pun, and then globalism is saying something that doesn't seem to be panning out, how do we then begin to correct this in a realistic way? Where, where do we even start? Well, you can't presume that um, allowing globalization to happen without taking any responsibility for those that feel like they were left behind is going to work for these people. But, but if they feel like they're left behind, like you said, so if it's not economical, if they feel like they're left behind, but they weren't actually left behind, then how do you solve that situation? Well, because, some of it is economic, but right. some, of it, some of it is Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria right, and Americans right. get involved in failed wars. Some of it is that we don't actually need the same amount of foreign labor that we had, you know, sort of 50 years ago. I mean, especially you look at the technology revolution and you see that automation and AI means... You don't need as many people, so maybe right. we do need to rationalize immigration. Could, could, it, could it also be that there are many people who have harbored racism for a long time but just needed somebody to trigger it? Because it feels like there were many people who became racist instantly with Trump. But when you look at it, it, it stands to reason there, there were some who were racist or harbored racist tendencies and ideas, but they didn't feel like they had the platform or the right to be racist. And you hear many people saying, it's Trump country now. Oh, yeah. I can do whatever I want. So could that be the underlying thing, is that it never went away. It's just people felt like it was less and less acceptable, and now it's just given rise to that. He's clearly made it acceptable for all sorts of Americans to say, that's right, someone is finally paying attention to the right. white 
underclass people been ignoring for a while. We had a black president. No one cared about us. Now we are. And we can say these shithole countries, sub-Saharan Africa. Right. And, you know, sort of how dare these black athletes. We let them make millions of dollars and they kneel for our national anthem. I mean, that's we know what that is. Right. But it's not the fact that this is happening in so many other countries around the world where there's no Trump. The fact that the Brits voted for Brexit, right, the right, fact right. that in Italy you actually have by far the most anti-establishment vote that you've seen since World War II. I mean, this has happened even in Canada, where it's not overtly racist. We saw Doug Ford take, by a landslide, the second most powerful position in Canada. He's the premier of Ontario now, just last week. But that's a scary thought then, because then what you're saying is there's almost like a virus going around the world that's secretly spreading, maybe online or maybe in some other way, and we, we don't know where it's coming from or... How to stop it, is that what you're saying? We know that we need to address the social contract in a much more fundamental way. Right. We have to pay attention to these people, we have to do infrastructure, infrastructure week, right? Who's talking about that? Well, Trump tried many times, but then porn star things happened. Went nowhere, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, we, we have to focus on those things, uh, you know, education. And the fact that the national government is likely not to be most of the solution means that at state level, at city level, philanthropists, entrepreneurs, I mean, that's, it's, for me, this feels like climate change 40 years ago, right? right? Where we knew, if you were a scientist that focused on climatology, you knew it was coming, right, but no right, governments right. were paying attention. Right. So you had to get folks to start dealing with it, doing experiments locally. Now today, the governments are still behind, but solar power today is cheaper than coal during the day. And that's because over time, human beings collectively said, we've got a big problem, and right. when things get hard, we can be better. And, and that's absolutely the only way we fix this problem, is that things are going to get hard, and we have to be better. It's a fascinating book. You're a fascinating man. Thank you so much Thank for being you, on Trevor. the show. Thank you, Really appreciate it. is available now in Bremer, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.